Curses, Blessings, and the Apple Watch. That's what we're talking about on this episode of Sounds Profitable with me, Brian Barletta. I know that you're listening to Sounds Profitable because podcast ad tech is important to you, but it's important to me that you are kept up to date on the latest news from the entire podcast industry. To help with that, here's what happened last week, no matter when you're listening, from James Cridlin at Pod News. Back in August of 2020, the IAB discovered that Apple Watches were causing some major discrepancies in reported download numbers. My article on the subject will be in the show's description with more details. I brought my guest, Dave Zarab, CEO of Chartable, in to talk with me about the often unregulated podcast market and what incidents like this mean for the future of our industry. Hey, Dave. Uh, thanks for joining me here on uh, the Sounds Profitable podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Brian. It's great to be here. Yeah, yeah, I'm real excited because today we're going to talk about one of my earlier articles where we dug into some of the changes that the IEB had around the Apple Watch. And, you know, it's been a little bit. I think that it was what the beginning of October that the changes had to go into effect. And so we're recording this in the middle of November. And I'm really excited because Chartable has got such a great positioning as like an analytics leader in this space and definitely not the sexiest article topic I've written about. But, you know, <laughs> you guys. You guys are the experts here on analytics and you see across all the hosting platforms because of how well used you are. I figured it would be a great thing to ask you, like, did anything substantially change with the numbers when the blocking went live? Like you said, we see numbers from folks across pretty much every hosting platform, you know, from the biggest shows in the world down to folks with like, you know, a few downloads per episode. And we didn't really see any massive change. You know, it really depends on the publisher. And, you know, their breakdown of Apple Podcasts to other players and how many folks on there, you know, that are subscribed to Apple Podcasts also have an Apple Watch. But, you know, we signal to our users that like, hey, this this change is coming. It's going to start October 1st. And then, you know, that was it. There wasn't like any pushback. We didn't see any huge drops or anything. So, you know, there might be some publishers that were affected more than others. But like from a zoomed out perspective, not a huge effect. Yeah. And so the the whole focus here was that when you have Apple Podcasts on your watch and on your phone, it's downloading twice, right? Like if I subscribe to something? Yeah. So like the, you know, one of the challenges of measuring anything in podcasting, which is like the flip side of how awesome and open it is, is that like uh, we don't have a ton of data at the time of download, right? And so the IAB defines a unique download as a combination of an IP address and user agent downloading a particular episode. The watch has a different user agent, which is like the just like a bunch of characters telling us the server like what is downloading. So because even if it's on the same IP, because it says you know Apple Podcasts and one is Apple Watch, those count as two different downloads. And so you know there's a movement which I think is right to like eliminate downloads which are duplicative. And so you know the folks at the IAB Tech Lab and members of the committee suggested this change, and I think it's the right thing to do. At the same time, it's just one slice of the crazy challenge and wonderfulness of the of this like open ecosystem where we don't actually know all that much about what's happening on the other side of a download, right? So it's really just yeah. one example of that. Yeah. And 
just so I'm, I want to make sure I'm correct here because I'm not an IAB member. I thought about becoming one, but I don't really know if I want to spend $5,000 to join a bunch more webinars. Yes, um, it's expensive. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. And that's the, that's the startup rate. I can pay $5,000 for the first two years as prorated if I'm from a company or a publisher that's under a million dollars. And like, cool for dropping the bar there, but you know, I don't think anyone's going to listen to my opinion yet. And I don't, I think I can learn <laughs> enough from the people in it. Uh, when I talked to them, but that's fair. The only thing I saw about this and the only way I came across it was there was a blog post. And so I got to ask, does the IAB send out to the people who pay, you know, thousands of dollars a year, like a, like a, Hey, by the way, this is something we have to move forward with. Or is it really kind of communicated that way? There's like, you know, they have a few different communication channels. There's emails, there's a Slack group. And it's my understanding. That, and I don't want to, you know, just to be clear, I don't want to like speak for the IV. I'm a member, happy member, but, uh, you know, not in charge of it or anything. But my understanding is that there's going to be revised guidelines, like uh, published with some other changes talking about, you know, various like tweaks to the guidelines, nothing crazy, right? But just like learning from, I think these guidelines were, the V2 guidelines were published in December of 2017, I believe. Uh, and so it's been a little bit. Uh, we've learned some stuff. And so, um, you know, uh, some changes are in order, right? Yeah. No, I super agree with that. When was Chartable formed, by the way? So we started the company in June of 2018. Uh, so my co-founder and I started a podcast in April of 2018. And it took off, like took off in quotes. Like, you know, we were getting like 5,000 downloads a day, which for two random nerds is like not bad. But it really kind of opened our eyes to the opportunity in podcasting. Like the thesis being, hey, if people are listening to me, then they really want to listen to some to audio. They must be like really starved for good audio. And uh, yeah, Chartable became kind of a real thing later in that year. And you know, we joined the IAB in 2019 and started our certification process then. And we were certified for podcast measurement this year. That's awesome. Yeah. That's that's really cool that you guys were involved in the IEB so quickly into to starting. I know it takes a lot of companies more time than than I think they should to to get involved, even just as a tech lab member. Well, I, I was just gonna say, I mean, it definitely costs a lot, but there's two components to it, right? There's the tech lab and then there's the certification. And if if you're gonna be in the ad tech space here, even though I think that the prices are prohibitively high, I do think that being in the tech lab is kind of table stakes for anybody in podcast ad tech. Yeah, for us, um, you know, because because we were new, entering a space as like a new player and trying to, you know, trying to innovate in our way, we thought that joining the IAB would lend us some credibility. And we also, you know, to be honest, like I, I was a little bit maybe skeptical of the certification process. I thought going in like, oh, I'm a Silicon Valley programmer guy. Like I know how to count downloads. I can read this guideline. I don't need your help. But the folks who are running the auditing of that program were really rigorous, uh, friendly, uh, but rigorous. And, you know, I learned a lot through that process. And we certainly came out with a stronger, like more robust measurement process after going through that program. And so it's certainly been worth it for us. The auditing process is done by like an accounting and auditing firm, right? It's like... a real deal thing. You know, <laughs> I think like squeaking your way through that is not not possible. They're yeah. very rigorous. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the, the tech part's done by tech nerds like ourselves. And then the, the auditing part is done by like people who deal with like mass, not just tech auditing, right? Like all levels yeah. of auditing. And yeah, it's it's definitely really interesting. Yeah. One of one of the things that I wanted to ask is, uh, you know, I have 
an iPad, I have an iPhone, I have an Apple Watch, and I love the Apple Podcast app. For me, it's just, it hits all the things that I really wanted to use. I've tried a few of the other ones, but because I'm so in the Apple ecosystem, it's the easiest for me. I'll notice that, you know, uh, I, my iPhone broke for a bit and I was just using my iPad and watch for a while. I'll notice that I'll get notifications on my watch, my phone, and my iPad now for shows that I've subscribed to. So this issue that we're having here with the Apple Watch, where we scrub that data, we're not counting it as separate downloads. You know, a watch is unique, right? It's more personal, right? The watch is attached to my wrist. I don't leave a watch in the middle of the living room table for my wife to go use my watch, but an iPad can be general use. Do you see the potential for the iPad also in that situation for apps like Apple Podcasts? The behavior is pretty different from like what I've seen. You know, I haven't investigated the automatic download behavior recently, so it really kind of depends on your usage patterns, right? But like ultimately... There's no watch download that is not mirrored to a phone, right? Whereas, like, there's plenty of iPad activity that does not occur on an accompanying yeah. phone. My right? kid, my two-year-old uses my iPad and and not a watch or a phone. And as he gets older, he's going to be a long time before I give him a watch or a yeah, phone. Yeah, for so. sure. Same, same <laughs> with the kids in our family, right? So, uh, I don't know how many podcasts are listening to uh, in the in the podcast Apple Podcast app, but they're certainly using the iPad. I actually, we started checking out some of the Viacom ones, man. The kids ones. They're yeah. actually, I'm, I'm actually shocked at how neat they are. Yeah, it's super fun. Yeah. We did a, a wanderer car ride not too long ago. And my five-year-old daughter, you know, we were putting on a bunch of different shows to see what she would like. At the end, I was, we're like, so like, what do you think? You know, I'm like, did you like the podcast? And she said, uh, you know, it was pretty fun, but I like TV better. And I was like, oh, <laughs> Ouch, you know, this is like daddy's like like whole life right now. <laughs> My son loves the intro music for What a Day, the Crooked nice. Media one. And he just <laughs> asks for it in the morning because he knows that's what we play over breakfast. That's great. But yeah, so that's, I mean, that's interesting on the, the, uh, the iPad. And that kind of gets me into my, my next question is that like, this is the first time that IEB has taken a stance to block or tell people to not ingest actions from a specific app. And so much of what IEB is regulating is how downloads are counted, how impressions are counted. But I think that the industry can do better when all parts are held accountable. So, you know, do you think that we're going to see more from the IAB related to uh, specific app behavior and requirements there over like on, on the overall? Or do you think that it's going to be more like with this Apple Watch thing as things happen, we choose to reach out, get their feedback. And if they don't comply, then we remove it. I think it's a good question. Like one of the other things that that has come up, and I'm not sure the current status of this is like for a while, I believe it was Spotify, but possibly other platforms were downloading episodes, doing automatic downloads based on a change in the URL of the episode and not the good yeah. in the RSS feed. And that can be super problematic for folks integrating a prefix like ours or, you know, any of the other folks that do prefixes in the RSS feed, because if you have like 300 episodes and the podcast app is saying like, oh, the URLs changed for all these episodes, let's go download them again. That's a ton of bandwidth right there for no reason. This stuff is not going to get listened to again, right? So, uh, you know, there has been talk about addressing those sorts of issues, but like the most of the people in the IAB room are folks at hosting companies and analytics and attribution companies like mine, not the people that make a specific Alexa skill or a a podcast app that's developed by one person, right? And so there's a gap there between the folks in the room and, you know, 
the wide diversity of folks that are making podcast apps or players or skills or whatever it is, right? Because it's there's just so many ways you can listen to a podcast. Uh, yep. It's hard to address them all, especially in the folks you know making those apps are not in in the IAB. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard. I mean, I can make a podcast app. If I had any development skill, I could do it right now. And, <laughs> and then, you know, and then it's, um, I'm just another person there. And, you know, when we get into the privacy side of things, like I'm not big enough as a company to have to adhere to a lot of the regulations, at least in the US. Right. And it gets real messy. But that's one of the big pioneer things of podcasting is specifically that, that it's open, that anybody yep. can access it. And there's, I don't think we're ever going to get to a point people keep talking like, are we going to leave RSS or can we restrict these things? And I think there's some little things like I, I know that Podcast Index is working on things like the ability to lock a feed so that right. it can't just be transferred over or, or anything like that. I think a lot of the problems that we have now are going to be things that we dance around for a long time. And I agree. And I think that the best way forward is invite the bigger people into the room and, and get the framework. So I hope, I hope that the IEB makes time specifically for podcasting next year to start inviting these bigger players in there that are, you know, I, I mean, I guess Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon are all usually in the room, but there should be room for, for the next five apps there too. Just to kind of yeah. have some additional voices. Yeah, it's um, the openness is one of the absolute best things about podcasting and what makes it so like, robust and rich as a medium. And actually, if it wasn't so open, like my company couldn't exist, right? And a lot of the stuff that we've seen, a lot of the innovation that's happened wouldn't have been possible because it would have all been controlled by a single company. That said, like, there's a trade-off to that, which is like, if you want to make a change, you have to get everybody to agree. And having been part of uh, both like formal and informal groups trying to discuss some of these changes, it's it's hard to get everybody to agree. Whether yep. that's because uh, people have vested interests in the status quo or a vested interest in a particular change, there's a lot of different folks that have to all play along in order to make a change, right? And so I was actually listening to the Andreessen Horowitz podcast or like Silicon Valley venture firm, A16Z, they had a, another podcast about podcasting recently where the head of research at Spotify was uh, on along with a couple of um, folks from the firm. And he was saying that, and I wish I'd had the quote or something, I should have been more prepared, but basically that way, the way Spotify is looking at it, they can do stuff like their shows with music because they don't need to ask anyone else's permission, yeah. right? They can just do it. They have the rights on the platform. They have the UI, they have the engineers, they have the marketing people and the rights management stuff already in place with the labels. So they can make this thing happen, which is something that like, if you tried to get Apple Music to also agree to that or Amazon Music or Deezer or any of the other, you know, Pandora, Sirius, whatever, it would take forever to get that folks to agree on that. And so in some ways, you know, his point was that they're going to be able to innovate faster because they don't have to ask permission, which is true. I think that the flip side of that is that all the innovation is going to happen within that one app. You know, whether or not the, the entire ecosystem will benefit uh, remains to be seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think my gut still says that they're going to be able to to do that cool innovation, like you're saying. But we're going to see the people that are lazy ad buyers that focus on like, I just spent my money on Facebook and Google are going to find a home in Spotify. They're going to throw their money over there. They're not going to care about it. They're going to get a nice pie chart report that tells them what they want. And they're going to eat eat that walled <laughs> garden dog food, right? But the savvy buyers, which I, I really feel like 5 or 10 years ago, like it was a push more towards just like adhere to the system, buy into the system, get that young 
you know, 20 something person to go manage your programmatic spend or your ad buys and don't care about it. I think we're rebounding from that. And we're finding the people that are succeeding are the people who are like, well, I'll spend 10% on Spotify at the high CPM to learn about what it's like in a walled garden. And because I decided to focus only on true crime, I can take that information and say that 60% of my true crime podcasts did listen past the mid roll or past where I like my ad placements. Therefore, I can go buy for, you know, uh, the dynamic ad insertion prices or at a bulk buy, or I can negotiate with people who are not in the Spotify ecosystem, get more granular tracking and more analytics from it and really succeed a little bit more than I could just in Spotify. I like this vision of the future, Brian. I hope that it comes to pass. <laughs> yeah. no, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of money in those lazy buyers. There are a lot of companies yeah. that do really well for that, either for themselves or as an agency. And you know, I, I cannot knock them because they're paying their bills and they're feeding their kids. And, yeah. and that's how that works. But I think that... And there's you know, always a place for people who want like an easy option. Like, of, co- of course, people want easy options, right? Of course they do. Like, we're humans, right? Yeah. Uh, we're all trying to like, you know, juggling however many different priorities, right? But the idea that folks could learn from those Spotify buys and then apply it to the open ecosystem. I think that's great. I hope, I, I hope to see it happen as, yeah. as these markets develop. It's still so early in the game, right? Yep. And Spotify has been so aggressive. You know, it's good to see folks like Pandora investing more. Amazon is investing more. Uh, we've seen slow but steady movement from Google as well uh, and rumblings from Apple. Like, I'm excited. Like, I want to see healthy, robust competition and innovation in this space. I think that's what's going to benefit the most people. It's going to benefit especially creators a lot because there's going to be a lot of options. And I think it'll also benefit advertisers because there's going to be competition for their dollars, not just like yeah. the duopoly that exists in like web display ads, right? Exactly. No, I super agree. I think there's going to be a lot of competition here because of how open it is. And I think that you know Spotify is going to be creating something of their own. It's very clear, yeah. right? With Anchor for sure. and all that, with the shows with music, like there's going to be this new breed of podcasting that Spotify is going to co-op and good on them. I think they're going to do really successful there. But I think podcasting is what it is, has weathered the storm of being pushed into streaming audio before it is peeled out of radio. And I think it's got something neat. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I have to tip my hat to Spotify. They've been playing an incredibly impressive and aggressive game and making moves that I think company of their size would make much more slowly right but yeah. instead they're just like they're like oh we're gonna buy the biggest podcast and the biggest hosting platform right and the most the biggest like the biggest hosting platform megaphone by downloads the biggest hosting platform by number of podcasts and anchor it's like both sides of the spectrum right yep kind of hobbyists high volume you know high volume of podcasts low downloads per show versus like a super concentrated high downloads per show uh thing with megaphone right it's like it's really you know, objectively impressive what they're doing. Yeah. Well, their spend to get people back into the space has been, has been really cool too. I mean, like we have to, yeah. like if the first time you hear about a podcast is from Spotify, like who cares? That's one more listener. That's awesome. That yeah, makes a great. big difference. It's great. Yeah. And yeah. But so to wrap things back up to the original topic, the last question I have on this is I noticed that I like, I logged into like Overcast's, and Apple Podcasts and a few others. And there's a few podcasts that I haven't cleared out in a long time. And I will get notifications every time they release a new episode. It does not matter how many episodes I am behind. If I am subscribed, it's downloading it. So do you think that we're going to see any guidance in the future about like stopping that? Like maybe if 
you haven't listened to the last three downloaded? Are we going to see a change to help prevent that? Because that's kind of junk downloads. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there's there's a lot of different facets to this. Like w- one facet is like controlling all podcast app behavior is not possible. And that's what makes, you know, to plug myself a little bit, like that's why you need attribution, right? Because like you need to know if the ads actually worked. And uh, in some ways you don't, because you can't control the download, you can at least measure the effect, right? Yep. That said, uh, you know, Apple Podcast default behavior, I believe, is to stop downloading if you haven't listened in a few episodes. That may be, I think it's maybe five by default right now. Overcast is like pretty aggressive about continuing to download stuff uh, <laughs> yeah. for better, or for worse. You know, the average downloads per like device on Overcast is a lot higher than other players, but it's like a pretty small slice of the overall yeah. uh, listener base. And those listeners are pretty specific, tend to be from a pretty specific demographic. And like for, you know, shows with a large overcast base, like if you're advertising tech products, probably still going to do well, even if some chunk of those downloads aren't listened to, right? That's true. So the answer is like, it's complicated. I'm sure we'll see some guidance, but you know, nobody, you know, the the curse and the blessing, nobody controls this thing, right? That's why we're here. That's why I'm able to do what I'm doing. And and that's why, you know, the the industry is so wonderful and and frustrating, right? (laughs) 100%. So. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some guidance in the future, but it'll be just that. It'll be guidance, right? Yeah. And so the last thing was, we wrap this up, I want to ask, I like putting people on the spot for this. What is your favorite podcast that you've been listening to recently? I've got two that I've been listening to recently. One is Fiasco, which is originally a Luminary exclusive podcast from Leon Nefak, who made um, Slow Burn seasons one and two. Uh, The season they just made free is, and it's on the open ecosystem, is about the Bush v. Gore 2000 election. It's fascinating and timely. Timely, yeah. Yep. Uh, and the other one is called Lost Notes. I believe it's from KCRW. Uh, the recent season is about albums from 1980. And I've always liked music podcasts, but this one is just mind-blowingly good and makes me just love records that even if I've he- never heard of the artists or if I have and just haven't listened in a while, uh, like the episode on Stevie Wonder just brought so much more context to his music and the power of it. I was like, just like one of those like stop in your tracks type moments where I was like, wow, this is good. That's the one where they dissect a song and explain the story behind it, right? Well, and they play a little so, bit of the melody and... Lost Notes is... Uh, I don't know about the other seasons. The first time I got into it, I don't know how it came across my radar, but the host uh, examines one album from the year 1980 in each of the episodes gotcha. of this season. And so there's... um Stevie Wonder's record from Hot, uh, it's like Hotter Than July, and then uh, Joy Division record, and uh, a bunch That's of others awesome. that I haven't listened to yet. Just goes deep into the context around them, and it's just it's just great. I mean, I you know if you're a music I'll have fan, to check it out. I have to imagine that you would you would like this podcast, and like yeah, yeah it just made me want to re-listen to everything. So <laughs> very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me. Really enjoy the conversation. Yeah, have a good one. And stick around for some special bonus content at the end of the episode. I've teamed up with Evo Terra to give you a minute-long strategic thought that is guaranteed to shift your perspective on the present and future of podcasting as we all work to make podcasting better. Thanks to Dave Zarab for coming in and helping me expand on my article, Apple Podcasts, watchOS Downloads Under Fire.
If you like what you heard and want to connect, you can find me, Brian Barletta, on LinkedIn, way less formally on Twitter as High Five RPG, and of course, you can email me, Brian at soundsprofitable.com. The Sounds Profitable podcast and all cool ad tech bells and whistles you've experienced were thanks to our host and sponsor, Wooshka. Everything you've heard since the conversation ended was uniquely created to target you using their dynamic ad insertion features. If any of the callouts were wrong, let us know. Depending on how you're listening, there were over 10 opportunities to hear dynamically inserted content and ads in this episode. While we continue to tweak and innovate our setup, some of the breaks may be more noticeable than others. Thank you for bearing with us and please send over your feedback. The Sounds Profitable podcast would not be possible without the help and support of Evo Terra, James Cridlin, Ian Powell, and Sam Mars. Thank you all for your help and support.